0: Chapters nine and ten of The Pawn's Count by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This Liebervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter nine. James Van Tail glanced curiously at the small dark figure standing patiently before him, and then back again at the wireless cable which he held in his fingers. He was just back from a tiring day in Wall Street and was reclining in the most comfortable easy-chair of his hotel plaza sitting-room gee he murmured this beats me the last thing i should have thought we wanted here was a valet the fellow who looks after this suite has scarcely anything else to do what did you say your name was nikasti sir van teyl carefully reconsidered the cable it certainly seemed to leave no room for misunderstanding please engage for our service as valet see that he enters on his duties at once hope land this evening your sister on board sends love f well that seems clear enough the young man muttered thrusting the form into his waistcoat pocket you're here to stay i guess nikasti i see you've brought your kid along in case you decided to engage me sir the man replied oh you are engaged right enough van teyl assured him you'd better make the best job you can of putting out my evening clothes. If you ring for the floor valet, he'll help you. The bedrooms are through that door. Very good, sir. I'm going down to the barber's now, Van Tail continued, rising to his feet. Just remember this, Nikasti. What a name, by the by. I could be called Kato, the man suggested. Kato for me all the time, his prospective employer agreed. Well, listen— My sister, Miss Van Tail, arrives from Europe on the Lapland this evening. If she comes in or rings up, say I'm here and I want to see her at once. You understand? I understand, sir. Van Tail strolled out, and Cato disappeared into the inner room. The floor valet, dressed in the dark blue livery of the hotel, was already laying out his master's dinner clothes. He eyed the intruder a little truculently. Who are you, anyway? he inquired my name is nikasti was the quiet reply mr van teyl has engaged me as his valet to wait upon him and mr fisher the man laid down the shirt into which he was fixing the studs that's some news he remarked bitterly to wait on mr van teyl and mr fisher eh what the hell do they want you for nikasti shook his head slowly he was very small and his dark eyes seemed filled with melancholy it is not for a very long time, he ventured. Long enough to do me out of my five dollars tip every week, the man grumbled. I'm a married man, too, and a good American. Blast you fellows coming and taking our jobs away. Can't think what they let you into the country for. I am sorry, Nikosti murmured. Your sorrow don't bring me in my five dollars, the valet retorted bitterly. There's only two suites on this floor to work for, anyway, and this is the only one worth a cent i am taking the situation the other explained for the sake of experience i do not wish to rob you of your earnings i will pay you the five dollars a week while i stay here you shall help me with the work that's a deal my little yellow-skinned kid the valet agreed in a tone of relief i'll show you where the things are kept his new coadjutor bowed the telephone is ringing in the master's room he observed you shall remain here and i will answer it that goes, Jappy, the man acquiesced. If it's a young lady, take her name, but don't say that Mr. Van Tayl's about. Forward young baggages, some of them are. Nicasty glided from the room, closed the door, and approached the telephone receiver. Yes, he acknowledged, these are the rooms of Mr. Van Tael. No, madame, Mr. Van Tail is not in at present. There was a moment's pause. Nicasty's face was impenetrable as he listened, but his eyes glowed yes i understand madame he said softly you are miss van teyl and you wish to speak to your brother the moment mr van teyl returns i will ring you up or fetch you he replaced the receiver upon its hook and returned to the bedroom for some little time he was initiated into the mysteries of his new master's studs boots and shoes and general taste in wearing apparel then the latter entered the sitting room and nikasti obeyed his summons Anyone called me up? he inquired. No one, sir. Van Teyl glanced at the clock in an undecided manner. I'll change right away, he decided. Just set things to rights in here, fill my cigarette case, and hang round by the telephone. Nicasty bowed and the young man disappeared into the inner room. His new attendant waited until the door was closed. Then he removed the receiver from his hook, laid it upon the table, and moved stealthily towards the open fireplace. For several moments he remained in an attitude of listening, then with quick, lithe fingers he drew from his pocket a cable dispatch, reread it with an air of complete absorption, and committed it to the flames. He watched it burned and turned away from the contemplation of its gray ashes with a sigh of content. Suddenly he started. The door of the sitting-room had been opened and closed. A tall, broad-shouldered man, wearing gold-rimmed spectacles, a long travelling coat, and a Homburg hat, was standing watching him. Nekasti was only momentarily disturbed. His look of gentle inquiry was perfect. "'You wish to see my master, Mr. Van Teyl?" he asked. "'Where is he?' Fisher demanded. "'He is dressing in the next apartment. I will take him your name.' Fisher threw his coat and hat upon the table. "'That'll do directly.' so you're nikasti they looked at one another for a moment the face of the japanese was smooth bland and imperturbable his eyes were innocent even of any question fisher's forehead was wrinkled and his brows drawn close together i am Nakasti, the other acknowledged kato nikasti mr van teyl has just engaged me as his valet you can take off the gloves fisher told him i am oscar fisher. Oscar Fisher, Nickasty repeated. Yes. Burning something when I came in, weren't you? Looked like a cable, eh? A dispatch from London, Nickasty confided. Nothing that would interest me, eh? It was a family message, was the calm response. It did not concern the affair which is between us. How came you to speak English like this? Fisher inquired. I was at Oxford University for two years, Nickasty told him and in the embassy at London, for five more. "'Before you took up your present job, eh?' Nikasti assented silently. Fisher glanced around as though to make sure that they were still alone. "'I have the communication with me,' he announced, "'which we are to discuss. "'The terms of our proposal are clearly set out, "'and they are signed by the highest of all himself. "'The letter embodying them was handed to me three weeks ago today in Berlin. "'Have you been to Washington?' Nakasty shook his head. I do not go to Washington, he said. You will understand that diplomatically, as you would put it, I do not exist. Neither is it necessary. I am here to listen. Fisher nodded. There need be very little delay then, he observed, before we get to work. Nicasty bowed and raised his forefinger in warning. I think, he whispered, that Mr Van Tayl has finished dressing. End of chapter nine Chapter ten Van Tayl, as he hastened forward to meet his friend, presented at first sight a very good of the well groomed, athletic young American. He was over six feet tall with smooth, dark hair brushed back from his forehead, a strong, clean shaven face and good features. Only as he drew nearer there was evident a slight unnatural quivering at the corner of his lips. The cordiality of his greeting too was a little overdone. Welcome home, Fisher. Why, man, you're looking fine. Had a pleasant voyage? Storms for the first few days. After that, all right, Fisher replied. Any submarines? Not a sight of one. Seen your sister yet? Not yet. I've been waiting for a telephone message. She hadn't arrived a few minutes ago. Fisher frowned. I want us three to meet, you, she, and I, the first moment she sets foot in the hotel, he declared. What's the hurry? Van Tail demanded. "'You must have seen plenty of her the last ten days.' "'That,' Fisher insisted, "'was a different matter. "'See here, Jimmy, I'll be frank with you.' He walked to the door of the bedroom, opened it, and looked inside. Its sole occupant was Nacasti, who was at the far end putting away some clothes. Fisher closed the door firmly and returned. "'I want you to understand this, James,' he began. "'Your sister is meddling in certain things she'd best leave alone.' "'Van Tail lit a cigarette. "'No use talking to me,' he observed. "'Pamela's her own mistress, and she's gone her own way ever since she came of age.' "'She's got to quit,' Fisher pronounced. "'That's all there is about it. You and I will have to talk this out. Where are you dining?' "'Downstairs,' Van Tail replied gloomily. "'I was thinking of waiting for Pamela.' "'You leave word to have your people let you know directly she arrives,' Fisher advised, "'and come along with me.' Van Teyl allowed himself to be led towards the door. Nicasty, with a due sense of his new duties, glided past them, rang for the lift, and watched them descend. Fisher turned at once towards the dining-room. Thank God we're in a civilized country, he observed, and that I don't have to change when I don't want to. They found a quiet table, and Fisher, displaying much interest in the menu, ordered a somewhat extensive dinner. "'Grapefruit and Maryland Chicken are worth coming back to,' he declared. "'Now, see here, James, let's get to business. You've got to help me with your sister.' "'But how?' Van Teyl demanded. "'Pamela and I are good pals, of course. But she has a will of her own in all she does, and I don't fancy that anything I could say would influence her very much.' "'There are two things about your sister,' Fisher continued. "'The first is that she's got to quit this secret service business she's got herself mixed up in. "'Don't talk nonsense!' Van Tale exclaimed. "'Pamela doesn't care a fig about politics.' Fisher grunted scornfully. "'You don't know much about your sister, young fellow,' he said. "'Internal politics over here may not interest her a cent, but she's crazy about America as a country, and she's shrewd enough to see things coming that a great many of you over here aren't looking for. Anyway, she came bang up against me in a little scheme I had on the night before I left Europe, and somewhere about her she's got concealed a document which I'd gladly buy for a quarter of a million dollars. Van Teyl drank off his second cocktail. Some money, he observed. How did she come by the price? Played up for it, just as I did, Fisher replied. She was clever enough to make use of my scaffolding and got up the ladder first. I'm not squealing, but I've got to have that document, whatever it costs me. Van Teyl was silent for a moment there was an undercurrent of something threatening in his companion's manner, of which he had taken note. And the second thing you mentioned, he asked, what is that? Fisher, as though to give due emphasis to his statement, indulged in a brief pause. Then he leaned a little forward and spoke very slowly and very forcefully. I want to marry her, he declared. Van Teyl leaned back in his chair and gazed at his vis-à-vis in blank astonishment you must be a damned fool Fisher," he exclaimed you think so was the unruffled reply i wonder why i'll tell you why if you want to know van tail continued bluntly i know of four of the richest and best-looking young men in america two ambassadors an english peer and an italian prince who have proposed to pamela during the last twelve months alone she refused every one of them well fischer remarked she must marry some time Van Tayl looked at him insolently. "'I shouldn't think you have a dog's chance,' he pronounced. There was a little glitter behind Fisher's spectacles. Up till now, he admitted smoothly, "'I have not been fortunate. I must confess, however, that I was hoping for your good offices.' "'Pamela wouldn't take the slightest notice of anything I might say,' Van Tayl declared. "'Besides, I should hate you to marry her.' "'A little blunt, are you not my young friend?' Fisher remarked amiably. Still, to continue, there is also the matter of that document. I must confess that I exercised all my ingenuity to obtain possession of it on the steamer. You would, Van Teyl muttered. Your sister, however, Fisher continued, was wise enough to have it locked up in the purser's safe the moment she set foot upon the steamer. She gave me the slip when she got it back and eluded me somehow on the quay. She will scarcely have had time to part with it yet, though, when she arrives here tonight it will in all probability be in her possession. "'Well,' Van Teyl demanded, "'you don't suggest that I should rob her of it, I suppose?' "'Not at all,' Fisher replied. "'On the other hand, you might very well induce her to give it up voluntarily, or at least to treat with me.' "'You don't know Pamela,' was Van Teyl's curt reply. "'I know her sufficiently,' Fisher went on, leaning over the table, "'to believe that she would sacrifice a great deal to save her brother from sing sing. Van Tayl took the thrust badly. He started as though he had been stabbed, and his face became almost ghastly in its pallor. He tossed off a glass of wine hastily. Just what do you mean by that? he asked thickly. Are you prepared? Fisher continued, to have me visit your office tomorrow morning and examine my accounts and securities in the presence of your partners. Why not? Van Tayl faltered. What the hell do you mean? I mean, James Van Tayl, his companion declared, that I should find you a matter of a hundred thousand dollars short. I mean that you've realized on some of my securities, gambled on your own account with proceeds, and lost. You did this as regards one stock at least, with a forged transfer, which I hold. Van Tayl looked almost piteously around. Life seemed suddenly to have become an unreal thing. The crowds of well-dressed diners, the gentle splashing of the water from the fountains in the winter garden, the distant murmuring of music from behind the canopy of the palms. So this was the end of it. All that week he had hoped against hope. He had been told of a sure thing. Next week he had meant to have a great gamble. Everything was to have gone his way, after all. And now it was too late. Fisher knew, and Fisher was a cruel man. The unnatural silence came to an end. Only Fisher's voice seemed to come from a long way off. "'Drink your wine,' James Van Tayl, he advised, "'and listen to me. You've been under obligations to me from the start. I meant you to be. I brought a great business to your firm, and I insisted upon having you interested. I had a motive, as I have for most things I do. You are well placed socially in New York, and I am not you are also above suspicion, which I am not. It suited me to take this suite in the plaza, nominally in our joint names, but to pay for the whole account myself. It suited me because I required the shelter of your social position.' "'You understand?' "'I always understand,' Van Tail muttered. "'Just so. Only, whereas you simply thought me a snob, I had in reality a different and very definite purpose.' we come now however to your present obligation to me i can if i choose tear up your forged transfer submit to the loss of my money and leave you secure i shall do so if you are able to induce your sister to hand over to me those few lines of writing to which believe me she has no earthly right and to accept me as a prospective suitor van teyl was drinking steadily now but every mouthful of food seemed almost to choke him. Red-eyed and defiant, he faced his torturer. You're talking rot, he declared. Pamela wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth, and if she's got anything she wants to keep, she'll keep it. And see her brother disgraced, Fisher reminded him, tried at the criminal court for theft, and sent to Sing Sing. It's a good name in New York, yours, you know. The Van Tales have held up their heads high for more than one generation. Your sister will not fancy seeing it dragged down into the mire. For a single moment the young man seemed about to throw himself upon his companion. Fisher, perfectly unmoved, watched him, nevertheless, like a cat. Better sit tight, he enjoined. Drop it now, or people will be watching us. I have ordered some of the old brandy. A liqueur or two will steady you, perhaps. Afterwards we will go upstairs and take your sister into our confidence. Van Taal nodded very well he agreed hoarsely we'll hear what pamela has to say chapter ten recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com